May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was in the Holy Land almost exactly 12 years ago. And when you go to the Holy Land as part of a tour with a church group, you have a guide, of course, and you are most likely in a, in a very large tour bus, as was the case with our group. I think we had two very large uh, tour buses. And we went to all the sites that are supposed to be the places where Jesus uh, went, all the places that we read about in Scripture. So that's why me calling it right now a tour is actually wrong. It's not a tour. It's not a trip. It's not a vacation. It is a pilgrimage. The idea of pilgrimage is spiritual. You go with the willingness and the openness to somehow be transformed in some way by leaving home, leaving your comfort zone, and hopefully being inspired by walking the path that many have walked before you. And when you go to these places, you can't think you can't help but think about how many thousands, even millions of people, as is the case of the Holy Land, who have made this trek. How many prayers have been said and heard and answered on this spot? Pilgrimages to holy places have been part of the Christian journey since the beginning, really. Well, Transfiguration Mountain was one of those places. It's actually called Mount Tabor, and it has significance in the Jewish tradition for other reasons than what we hear about today. And on this mountain, don't you know, a church was build, built called, now wait for it, wait for it, the Church of the Transfiguration. The Church of the Transfiguration. It's actually a very beautiful, beautiful church. But it's a little bit ironic that here we have built a dwelling right there where once the disciples wanted to make three dwellings to enshrine their experience of seeing Jesus transfigured before them. They had to build this shrine. To, they wanted to build this shrine to mark the spot where they had had this major epiphany as to who Jesus is, God's beloved Son, which they would have taken to mean the Messiah. Being called God's beloved Son was being called the Messiah. So I have to say, though, that going up Mount Tabor was one of the most frightening trips I have ever taken. And if, you've, if you know Disneyland, as I know we all do, this trip was a ramped-up, grown-up version of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I'm not kidding. I mean, tour buses were, are too big and can't make the trip up the narrow mountain roads. So groups who make this pilgrimage have to hire a bunch of local taxis, small cars with drivers that make New York City taxi drivers seem like cautious students taking a driving test. I am not kidding. That's their job all day, up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. And they drive with a speed and an abandon around these very, very thin one-lane paths 
with switchbacks and hairpin turns big enough for only one vehicle, no guardrails, and rarely a view of what might be coming down the mountain as you're going up the mountain. No convenient little mirrors that tell you, you know, what's coming your way. Where the only thing you can do besides envisioning the headlines, local church group goes off mountain road and plunges to their horrific deaths, is to hold your breath, close your eyes, sit back and trust that getting to the top of that mountain will be worth it. I will say it was hard, very hard to be spiritual once I got to the top of the mountain except to pray very hard that I make it back down. I didn't have much of an epiphany on Mount Tabor because all I could think of was how I really didn't want to make that trip back down. And I could just imagine the disciples not wanting to make that trip down either for a different, different kind of fear. They've just had this splendid epiphany, this revelation. They have seen Jesus glorified in a way that they have never seen. It is confirmed by God's own voice. God himself telling them that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what it means when God says, this is my son, listen to him. And when God speaks in the Bible, it's not something to be ignored. It's a pretty big deal. Because this is such a big deal, they want to stay and they want to build dwellings. They want to revel in this spiritual epiphany. And to their credit, they want to mark the spot for others who will make a pilgrimage there one day. Well, we did the same thing with churches throughout the centuries, marking holy spots and creating new holy spots to mark maybe not the actual places where an immense spiritual event occurred, but to mark our memories of the holy to mark our memories of the holy. And that's what churches are, aren't they? They mark the memories of the holy. They are holy imaginations to the epiphany that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Holy reminders that God is telling us to listen. Listen to him. Holy reminders of the resurrection. And, and that's what Jesus in Matthew wants us to hear today, that Jesus will rise from the dead. That's the message. That's the bigger picture of the Paschal mystery that marks this time. We begin Lent knowing about the hope of the resurrection. So why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone what you saw and that I'm the Messiah until after I rise from the dead. That's a, that's a pretty hard secret to keep, I would imagine. A lot of things happen before the resurrection, a lot of trials and hardship, the crucifixion. But I believe this is a pastoral moment. I believe that Jesus knows that experience speaks louder than words sometimes and that Jesus wants his disciples to experience the resurrection when it happens, to see it for themselves that is to say that our personal transfigurations cannot be always about what someone tells us or about what someone tells us to do, even me up here as your preacher, that we have to experience transfigurations on our own so that they can be enshrined 
on our hearts. The disciples need to experience the resurrection before they can preach about transfiguration, before they can truly speak about the Messiah. Jesus knows that we can't always tell people to have experiences or to know something, but what we can do, what we can do is we can lead them on the journey and walk with them during the trials and the crucifixions in order to help them get to the resurrection part, to keep that resurrection in mind. So for the disciples to come down from the mountain and testify right away, it might not be enough at this point. And that, in my humble, humble opinion, is why we have churches and shrines and pilgrimages to help lead people to the resurrection as they experience the volatility of perilous mountain journeys enshrining the holy on our hearts so it travels with us wherever we go and informs whatever we do. And that, my friends, is why St. Wilfrid's is here, to help lead people to the resurrection as they experience the volatility of perilous mountain journeys, enshrining the holy on our hearts and others' other heart, others hearts so it travels with us wherever we go and informs whatever we do. Jesus wants us to see the bigger picture. The story ends with the resurrection as it begins with the resurrection. It's as if he wants us to focus not on the crucifixion, not on the death, but the new life part. This is where the emphasis lay. There's no negating of the struggle that is to come, but it is only with the clear vision of new life that we are able to walk the journey of struggle, that we are able to cope with our disappointments, our fears, our sadness, our insecurities, our pain. So as we are approaching Lent, even though we know the end game, if we are to truly experience resurrection and not just talk about it, we must be mindful of the need to come down from the mountain there's a loveliness of staying up there on the mountain and reveling in a spiritual experience to see the face of God, to be captured by radiance, to feel the love that is meant for all of us to feel and experience fully. There's a human tendency to want to put all that in a box and say, we, all, we understand it now. But when we do that, when we just try to recreate past radiance, we can all at once just get caught up in the recreation itself and become unable to discern God's radiance in new and different ways. It's scary sometimes, but we must come back down from the mountain where God's radiance seems more hidden, more veiled. And that's the truly hard part. That is the cross that we bear as disciples, trying to see through the veil in order to experience the resurrection again and again, and again. Jesus' resurrection is so awesome that the effects can never be enshrined completely, and it will continue to speak to humanity in ways we may never know or imagine. And that actually is what feeds our souls with hope. So whatever your transfiguration story is or will be, this church is here on this spot. The church isn't perfect, 
We miss the mark at times. At other times, we actually might even inspire. But as we go into this time of Lent, a time of fasting for some, a time of inner reflection for others, take strength in the fact that these upcoming 40 days are a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, a pilgrimage to the resurrection. It is about letting go of the old and inviting us into new life. Matthew tells us that the resurrection will happen and the veil will be lifted. So come down the mountain with that faith and with that knowledge. And the journey, despite the hairpin turns and the inevitable switchbacks that I know this congregation knows all too well, it will be exhilarating and life-changing. At my first Sunday with you, exactly one year ago today, or about a few days, I think there's a few days in there that, that I came, I was focused on communicating to a community in crisis. I left you on that first Sunday with an image that I hoped would inspire. I hope that it would inspire you to trust that God's promise of transformation seen through the resurrection is real and to not give up on this holy place and this community. I told you about a Japanese art form called kintsugi and that is made when a piece of pottery falls to the floor and is broken into a bunch of pieces. And what do we do when a vase falls to the floor and gets shattered? Most of us probably get angry or upset or swear or throw the pieces away because even if we tried to put the vase back together, it wouldn't look the same. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be new and shiny and perfect. It would lose its value. In the art of kintsugi, the pieces are put back together with a glue that is made of powdered gold. Real gold powder is used to put the pieces back together. And here's the best part, because once the pieces are put back together, there's no process of sanding it over or smoothing it over. The cracks with the golden glue are not painted over. The vase will forever show the cracks and the restoration. But because of the gold, it is even more valuable than it was before. It has a resurrected beauty because it has been made new in unexpected ways and given a new worth. The Holy Spirit is that liquid gold that redefines and reworks the shattered pieces, reconciles the brokenness into something new. And that's exactly what I've experienced this year with all of you, liquid gold. A transfiguration, many spots where the holy can be marked and remembered. Pieces being brought back together in new ways. And friends, I want you to hear me and I want you to trust me once again. You're just getting started. We've done a lot together, but we've done a lot together with the Holy Spirit. It has been a privilege to be invited into your lives, your struggles, your joys, your fun. 
your hopes, and your unbelievable warmth. I thank you for that. But don't fear going up or down the mountain. The resurrection is both the end and the beginning of the story, a story that is never truly finished, only recreated into something more beautiful than it was before. I pray that you continue to trust in God's promise and to stay committed to this community, living into this trust. I pray that God continues to bless you and to show you the beauty of rebirth. And may you remember God's promise always of making things new. And as a, a mentor once told me, a very wise mentor once told me, and I've tried to keep this with me as I go throughout my ministry year after year, she said, preach Jesus and the rest will follow. Amen.